Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open to Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning there, just a comment or two. You know, I said last week that I, I do my share of um, weddings, enjoy them. But uh, on occasion, I was asked, I was asked it this week, but I'm asked it frequently. Um, uh, Dr. Young, uh, uh, we want to use a passage of scripture in, in our, in our weddings. What, uh, what passage should we use? And the one that, um, people love, um, is, uh, whither thou goest, I will follow. Um, you do know that that's a daughter-in-law spoken to a mother-in-law, don't you? That, that's not a wife speaking to a husband. That's a daughter-in-law. So I say, no, 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 you don't use that one. And then, of course, 1 Corinthians 13 comes to mind, uh, which is a glorious description of love. Uh, unfortunately, 1 Corinthians 13 is a description of love that's supposed to exist between brothers and sisters in Christ, not a husband and a wife. Whereas there's enormous, wonderful insights into the nature of love, it is, it is describing the love that's supposed to exist among us, not a husband and a wife. So I say, no, don't, don't, don't use that one. If you want one, here it is. Ephesians chapter 5, the lengthiest, the, um, the, the most intricate, and uh, the, the most profitable, I think, passage in the Bible concerning the institution of marriage is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. So, we'll read it, read it uh, again this morning. So you follow as I read, beginning at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God It endures forever. You know, guys, in a very real sense, I should have preached last week's sermon today and this week's sermon last week. And and let me explain why I say that. Folks, um, there is a whole lot of Christian preaching, or that um, ostensibly is Christian preaching, that um, exhorts the people of God to certain behaviors. Um, And invariably, the conclusion is drawn that if I want to be a Christian, then I've got to live like this. 
And uh, the assumption is then not too far away that Christianity is is a set, it, it's a morality, it's a code of ethics, a superior one, but it is essentially a code, a, 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 a lifestyle that one is to go live. And ladies and gentlemen, that is false. Um, whenever we separate and divorce the morality of uh, following after Jesus Christ from our standing in Jesus Christ, we end up with an ugly moralism. It's, it's really people like me who have, who have in many ways misled you because we, we exhort you to a lifestyle without ever giving you the motives behind the lifestyle. So what I should have done is really preach to you last week about the motives and then this week come back and tell you about the, uh, the, the particular imperative that's in view. But I, I will say in my humble defense, if I'd have added another, if I'd have doubled the length of that sermon last week, you people would have been leaving in hordes, uh, in droves, you know? So <clears throat> it, you just can't accomplish everything in one Sunday. But here's my point, guys. Last week, I, I pointed out that there, the, the assignment that is given to the biblical wife is that she submit. We talked about it, did we not? Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about the motives, the whys and the wherefores, the thing that lies behind the obedience. Um, I, I will say this, too. I had uh, thought about um, waiting until Father's Day to speak to husbands. But that's a month away. So I thought, you know what? What I'm going to do is next week we're going to we're going to continue we're going to finish this by taking a look at the assignment entrusted to men to, to husbands. But that will be my Father's Day sermon next week. <clears throat> so when Father's Day rolls around, don't look for something on Father's Day. It'll on Father's. It'll be something else. But we're going to we're going to try to keep this, this this stuff together. But guys, what I want to give you this morning is is the um, the motive. The motive behind the behavior that's enjoined. There is a specific. It's, it's easy to see, but there is also a motive. And the motive in, in a lot of ways is as important as the, as the particular behavior that's being described. So guys, let's go back. Um, let's start like this. If your Bibles are still open, and I hope they are, um, See if you can find chapter 4, just one chapter back, and I want to show you something. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, let me read you that. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, guys. Chapter 4, verse 1 is a hinge. It's the watershed for the two parts of the book of Ephesians. Paul always writes letters like this. He starts with a, with a lengthy doctrinal section. And, um, and then he follows up the doctrinal section with a section on practice. That is, the, the, the things being enjoined. In essence, the, the indicatives always precede 
the imperatives. Guys, I say that a lot, particularly on Wednesday nights. I, I, I talk about the indicatives preceding the imperatives. Do you understand that, guys? That is a description of who I am in Christ Jesus always precedes any command to me. Um, guys, simply following the imperatives, the commands, or at least trying to, does not make you a Christian. But having been made new in Christ by the, by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, I am then charged with a certain lifestyle. I am, I'm appealed to, uh, I'm enabled, I, I even desire to follow after Christ in obedience. But get this now, guys, the obedience always flows out of this new life that has been created in me. <clears throat> Never the reverse. And I'm telling you guys, that's the mistake that's made worldwide. Because the imper- the cart is before the horse. We concentrate on the imperatives without ever telling you about the indicatives. Gang, Paul never does that. God never does that. The New Testament doesn't do that. But I did that. <laughs> I did that by telling you the imperative last week. And, and, and when you separate the demand from the doctrine, then you end up with an ugly moralism. So let's see if we can't somewhat get the heart, the, the cart back where it's supposed to be this morning. Let's, let's take a look at the motive. Now, let me say just a little bit more. Guys, the section that we're in, Ephesians 5, it's a part of a section, chapters 4, 5, and 6. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are the direct consequence of what has preceded in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Guys, this afternoon, you want something to do? Read chapters 1, 2, and 3. They are this, this biography of a believer. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 talk about how one who was spiritually dead has been made spiritually alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So after Paul has described what a believer is, an indicative, after he has described that in the first three chapters, he then turns and says in 4.1, he says, therefore. Do you see that? He spends three chapters describing who we are now in Christ Jesus. That God has done this work of bringing us from death to life. And because that's who we are, therefore, I would have you walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Folks, God never stops by simply telling you who you are. All of these redemptive indicatives in chapters 1, 2, and 3 are to be fleshed out in the adherence to some 
moral imperatives. The, 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 the redemptive indicatives come first, but they are to be fleshed out in some moral imperatives, in some obedience to commands. Do you get that? And the place where the book turns is 4-1. That's the hinge. Paul is leaving behind a doctrinal section and he is moving forward to give us a section on practice. Now, so he has opened up this section on our new practice as believers by saying, I want you to walk worthy of the calling. Have I lost yet? I say all of that to say this, guys. One of the vital pieces of a worthy walk has to do with the arrangement of our families. Do you see? He spends three chapters telling us who we are. And then he says, okay, based on that, fleshed out of that, growing out of this, I want you to live a certain way. And one of the big chunks of this worthy walk that is now supposed to be the way we live has to do with marriage and family. In fact, he even mentions kids in chapter 6. He goes on to mention slaves, which were in this culture a part of the extended family. What what I'm saying, guys, is that, that this section on marriage is not an afterthought for Paul. It's not some kind of add-on, uh, some kind of filler, as as if Paul was winding up his letter to the Ephesians and he says, oh, shucks, I better say something about marriage. No. No, ladies and gentlemen. He is, he is talking about this worthy walk that is supposed to characterize people who are described in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and a significant portion of that worthy walk is... How we conduct ourselves within our families. You know, guys, um, this whole discussion of marriage is an exceedingly practical issue when it comes to this worthy walk. And I think you already know that. Don't you? You know what an impact a sour marriage can have on your walk with Jesus Christ. Don't you? You know when there's difficulties in your marriage, what it does to your soul. So, fundamentally, a biblically consistent marriage is a significant part of my worthy walk with Christ. Yeah, it took me that long to say that. (laughs) I'm simply telling you guys that Paul has described who we are in chapters 1 through 3. And then he launches this whole section on practice and a big part of that discussion has to do with our marriages. And when they're bad, our souls suffer. And when they're good, things are better for us spiritually. Are they not? So this is important stuff, guys. This is not, um, this is not an add-on. This is not filler. 
This is not, well, you know, it's Mother's Day, Father's Day. We better say something about family. It has to do with this walk that is expected of us as people who belong to Jesus Christ. And and a big part of that has to do with how we flesh this out in our families. So what we want to do this morning is look at motives. Uh, actually, there are motives for both of us, that is husband and wife. But specifically, we're still talking about wives. Next week, as I said, we'll come back and talk about husbands. But this morning, we... We continue the discussion with about wives. Now, folks, go back with me to verse 22 of chapter 5. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, guys, not only does this verse 22 give you the what, it also gives you the why. Now, I want you to stay with me. Look at your text, guys. This is, this is, this is vital. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's not the last time he's going to say something like that. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as. Guys, it would be a good practice simply to notice the number of times Paul uses the term as, even as, or um, so also. Do you see what he's making a comparison And those are words of comparison. He says in verse 22, as Christ, or as to the Lord. In verse 23, he says, as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, in verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as Christ does the church. Verse 32. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Guys, do you hear anything? Do you hear anything that's bleeding through this paragraph? The whole idea is that a marriage of a husband and a wife is to be a reflection of Jesus Christ and the church. The heavenly bridegroom and his earthly bride. Gang, bleeding out of this whole piece of instruction is the, is the, is the thing that you must see is that this thing that we know is marriage is to be a reflection of Jesus Christ and the church. Guys, tell me, how does the bride How does the bride, that is the church, respond to her heavenly bridegroom? Or, how does the bridegroom, Jesus, how does he love his bride? Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's what Paul's doing. Marriage is supposed to reflect that. How does Jesus love his church? Well, that's how I'm supposed to love his wife. How does the church submit to the the Savior? Well, that's the way the wife is supposed to. Do you see that, guys? Marriage is supposed to be a reflection of that. I'm telling you what, I'm going to go one step further. I can do this. My wife is not here. She would, she would not allow this. But, but, um, um, look at verse 32. Um, yes. 
No, no, it's 31. Verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You see that? Everybody here know what the one flesh business is? (laughs) We do, don't we? The conjugal dimension of marriage. Guys, have you ever heard that... We as the people of God are in union with Jesus Christ. You ever heard that? Do you know that the best illustration of our union with Christ is to be found in the conjugal act of marriage? Guys, marriage is to have an evangelical ring to it. As I said last week, one, one, one pastor I respect called it gospel reenactment. Guys, do you see what would happen if we changed these roles that are defined here? Do you see? Do you see if we were successful in changing this whole scheme called uh, the roles assigned? Do you see that the opportunity to display Christ's love for his bride is gone? Satan would love that. But but we, ladies and gentlemen, we're supposed to use marriage to reflect this relationship that Jesus Christ has with his people. And if you change that in terms of the roles that are assigned here, you spoil the chief illustration of gospel love. So why do I have to fight to preserve the roles as outlined in Ephesians chapter 5? I understand why the, why the world hates this stuff, ladies and gentlemen, but not us. We ought to glory in these roles. And I find myself having to try and convince professing Christians that this is true. Okay, ladies. You want the motive? You want the motive, it's right there in verse 22 for you. You want the motive as to why submission is your assigned role? Well, it's uh, because it's the role assigned to the wife by society. No. Well, uh, the, the reason that a wife should submit is because it's just true to her nature. Hogwash. Well, uh, the Bible, I mean, a wife should submit because the Bible says so. No. Not even that. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, that's an illustration of the Bible used wrongly. The motive for a wife's submission is her ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ. Not because of who her husband is, but because of who Jesus Christ is to her.
Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. There it is. Your submission, ladies, is to be an expression of your love for Jesus Christ, the one who who gave everything up to save you. Your role as a wife is a response to his role to you as a savior. Any other motive than that is less than Christian. Guys, I said last week that submission is a term of order. It's not a term of value. It's not a term of worth. It's a term of order. We don't determine who plays what role based on who's the most qualified. If that were so, then um, then many of us husbands would have to cede that responsibility to a far more talented and capable and intellectual woman. Now, of course, that's not true in my home, but <laughs> um, I can say that because my wife is not here. But ladies, submission is not done as an expression of your love for your husband. It is done as an expression of your love for Christ. It is not husband-referent. It is Christ-referent, which is what Ephesians 5.22 says. I submit as a wife with an eye towards Jesus, not with an eye towards my husband. My submission to my husband is a um, is an expression of my deep gratitude and love for Jesus Christ. Now, ladies, I know that for some of you that is very difficult because you're married to a ornery man, a carnal man, a mean man. And, and, and if the two of you are struggling with these assigned responsibilities, then for heaven's sakes, get some help. Don't just continue to marinate in your own bitterness. But in no way is are any of us given permission because of the difficulty of our circumstances to tamper with or alter the roles that have been assigned to us by a God who loves us. So it's difficult. I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to be insensitive to that. Yes, I know it's difficult. Very frankly, it's sometimes difficult to love you too. But we do not have permission. Because society is moving in a different direction. We do not have permission 
to somehow change this so that it will conform to a culture that's gone mad in its rebellion before Jesus Christ. Ladies, it's difficult. Do you want a, you want a sublime model of a woman who yielded and submitted in difficulty? I'll give you one. Her name is Mary. Luke chapter 1. You remember when, when the angel comes to her and says, uh, uh, By the way, Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to overpower your womb, and we're going to take up residence there, and you're going to have a baby without knowing a man. What do you think that was going to cost her? At bare minimum, it is going to be public humiliation, maybe death. Why does she yield to something like that? Well, we're told in verse 38, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done according to your word. Difficulty. Yeah. And difficulty is overcome because I know of the goodness of the God who gave me the assignment. I know something about him. I know what it cost him to save me. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to see a beautiful sight, just watch a gifted woman yield to the leadership of her less gifted average husband. Without bitterness, without trying to manipulate, And why does she do that? Because of who Jesus Christ is to her. Ladies, you yield far more than your rights to your name when you marry. But may I add, You yielded that long before you married. You yielded rights when you embraced your heavenly bridegroom. Now, set in that context, gentlemen, listen to me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Is that not beautiful? Instead of the, well, the husbands bring home the bacon and the little ladies fried up. Where did that come from? I don't know. I don't know where it came from, ladies and gentlemen, but it has produced a generation of gender wars. What is beautiful is this. Guys, this is gospel reenactment. Not some socially constructed mechanism for the preservation of the human race. It's not not an attempt to subjugate women. 
It's a man and a woman getting a chance to display their love for Christ who is their highest loyalty in life. There you go. You want a why and a wherefore? There it is. We got a chance to work through things in such a way where Jesus Christ gets glory. And we cannot let our culture rob us of an opportunity to display the beauty of Christ's love for his bride. We let the we let the culture name the tune, and then the wives and the husbands march lockstep to the tune offered up to us in a by a godless culture. Ladies and gentlemen, that's understand that's understandable for the not yet redeemed. But for us, it's unthinkable. It's inexcusable. Ladies, marriage is not some invention for the repression of women. It's a chance for you, my sister in Christ, to demonstrate your thrill at being loved by your heavenly bridegroom. It is a large piece of my walking worthy of the calling to which I have been called. It is a way, and a pretty big way, for us to say to this culture of ours that because of the the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, God made a new person out of me. We can't miss this chance. Father, I I do pray that you'll use the marriages of this church and other churches to demonstrate that there's there's something to this gospel message. That there's something to this being born again stuff. That there's something to this exchanging a heart of flesh for a heart of, or a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. Like the world, um, who will not listen to our arguments about the authority of the Bible, might they not be able to argue with what they see in our marriages? Might we be useful to you in the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? In numerous ways. One of those being. Our marriages. We ask it of course in Jesus name.